associate this divide where we feel like, is it not what I thought it to be? Is it not what I imagined it to be? So I want us to begin to see what can we do to help us bring a little bit more of the reality of our relationship with Jesus Christ and into our everyday life. And so today, I entitled this message, Spirit Recognizes Spirit. And this is a key in order for us to begin to see these movements and how Jesus relates to our everyday life and how we can experience Jesus in the very ordinary things that we do every day. A while back, um, well, not a while back, but there's this, there's this term that's called talent recognizes talent. You guys heard that term before where you say talent recognizes talent? So it's, in, it's across every industry, whether it's the art, science, business, trade, sports, where people just say, well, talent is able to recognize talent. And back in 2014, uh, do you guys remember the Raptors back then? They were like a developing team, and they were getting better and better. And it looked like, wow, they're going to get past this kind of like, you know, first-round playoff, you know, uh, uh, being uh, sent off uh, from the playoffs in the first round. We thought that now, finally, we have a good core team together. And in 2014, in the opening first round, the the Raptors were facing the Brooklyn Nets, and they were a formidable team back then. And Paul Pierce, although he was older, he still formed a good centerpiece of that team. And uh, the Raptors fought their way back into the series, so now they led the series 3-2. to two. But then unfortunately what happened is it, uh, the Brooklyn Nets forced a game uh, 7. They went into the game 7. There was just one point behind Raptors had the ball. They gave it to Kyle Lowry. Lowry took the shot, but then Paul Pierce was there, and he jumped, and he blocked that shot. And then the Raptors lost again in the first-round playoffs, and they were kicked out. Now, in the following year after that heartbreaking loss, Paul Pierce was traded to the Washington Wizards. And as he was playing for the Wizards, again, the matchup happened to be now Washington Wizards versus the Toronto Raptors in the first round of the 2015 playoffs. And ESPN, they did, um, uh, they did an interview with Paul Pierce, and they said, hey, are you worried about the Raptors in the first round? And this is what Paul Pierce said. He says, I don't need to worry about the Raptors because they don't have it. Do you guys remember that? Anyone watch that at that time? In 2015, he says, I'm not so worried about the Raptors because they don't have it. I, I remember when I was watching that interview and I saw that, my blood began to boil. I went, what do you mean we don't have it? Of course we don't. Oh, man. And I, I remember my desire was, I want the Raptors team to make Paul Pierce eat those words because he doesn't know what he's talking about. But he kept saying, yeah, they don't have it. They're, I don't need to worry about them. And do you guys remember what happened in the 2015 playoffs in that first round? The Raptors lost 4-0 that whole series. So they didn't even win one game. And so what Paul Pierce was really saying back there in sports and we see it in every, across every field is it's true. Talent recognizes talent. And what Paul Pierce was saying is, at this point, and who the Raptors had on their roster at that point, they didn't have that talent 
that would be able to take them over the top, that kind of like gritty, you know, killer instinct talent that when push comes to shove, they can be handed the ball and they will be able to take on all the pressure and make that final shot. What Paul Pierce was saying is the Raptors don't have it. And Paul Pierce being that kind of guy says talent recognizes talent. And on the, Ra on the Raptors team, they just don't have it. You see, in a similar principle, when we look at faith and we look at how we live our faith, Jesus also said in very similar words, spirit recognizes spirit. In other words, sometimes the reason why we have a hard time uh, seeing God work in the ordinary parts of our life or God's relevance or his power in the ordinary aspects of our life is because only spirit recognizes spirit. And if we are lacking spirit, we can't see the work of the spirit that happens around us. This is what happened to Nicodemus. He was a well-groomed rabbi. And even though after all these years of following God, he couldn't recognize the power of God at work in his midst. And that's why Nicodemus went to Jesus and began to ask him, you know, what must a man do to inherit eternal life? Or what, uh, what can a man do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus said these words, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. In other words, he says only spirit can recognize spirit. Unless you have the spirit, you cannot see the things of the spirit that God is doing in around you, even in your everyday circumstances. See, like Nicodemus, if we are having trouble recognizing and valuing the lead of God's spirit in our life, in our everyday, if we find ourselves putting these things of Jesus to the side and they don't become so much of a priority and we're waiting for something else to happen or something to really prove to us that God really is who he says he is, Jesus says, well, if you don't have it, you cannot see it. And he encourages Nicodemus and he encourages us let the Spirit give birth to Spirit inside each and every one of us. See here, Spirit only, because only Spirit recognizes Spirit, we need to ask ourselves, are we missing it? And if we're missing it, how do we gain God's Spirit in our life? So let's read today's passage. It comes from Luke chapter 8, verse 26 to 39. <clears throat> Luke 8, 26 to 39. I'll read it for us. It reads this. They sailed to the region of, the, of Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, 
And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken the chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the men, he went into, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we go through your word and as we go through this spirit-recognizing spirit, I pray, Father, if we're lacking your spirit in our life, will you fill us? Will you fill us with your spirit, Lord, so that we may be able to see how you are at work around us, Lord, that we may be able to follow you, to know that you are good. Thank you, Father, Lord, for your goodness. And I pray may you open up our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. See, when spirit recognizes spirit, we begin to find ourselves, we're drawn towards certain people, and we're also drawn towards certain places. This is the first point that I want to make. When spirit recognizes spirit, we automatically, through that spirit's influence, we are drawn to certain places, and we're drawn to certain people. We're drawn to places of worship, to want to surround ourselves in a place where we can continually worship God. We're drawn towards certain people that in those spaces that we can encourage one another and to pray for each other so that we can continually spur one another on. When the Spirit recognizes Spirit, we're drawn into those spaces. I'm sure the disciples were suddenly surprised when Jesus, out of the blue, suddenly said to them, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake. That's what happened right before this passage. Right before Jesus went to the uh, Gerasenes to heal this demon-possessed man, the disciples and Jesus were doing great work on the side of Galilee. And there they're doing their ministry, and then suddenly, in the middle of all of this ministry, and it's good work that they're doing, and it's not ending, it's continuing, suddenly... Jesus says to the disciples, we need to cross over to the other side. They didn't know where they were going, but Jesus' spirit recognized 
that there was a call for him to go to the other side, to the garrisons, to meet this demon-possessed man. Now, what we notice is as soon as they got into the boat, they were confused. They didn't really understand. The disciples aren't being led by the Spirit, but they are following Jesus, someone whom they believe is filled by the Spirit. And as soon as they go, what we see the, the first thing happens is by following God's Spirit, a storm suddenly brews up in their midst. Now, this is important because as a storm brewed up, I'm pretty sure the disciples probably thought to themselves, why did Jesus suddenly just tell us to go to the other side of the lake and then we have to go through this storm? They said it wasn't in our plans. We didn't really need to go there and we were doing fine and we don't even know why he wants us to go to the other side of the lake. And right now we're in dire situation where we might drown. And that's the complaint that they bring to Jesus. They're saying, we are going to drown. You know, sometimes when God's Spirit leads us, it leads us through certain trials, certain challenges. But that doesn't necessarily mean that God does not want you to go there. Sometimes that actually means it's other things that don't want you to go there. Because there's something that God wants to reveal to us when we cross over to the other side. For the disciples, they began to notice as they were following Jesus as their spirit guide. They noticed that this Jesus has even power over natural things. These ordinary things like waves and wind in their life, they could actually pray. And they can believe that Jesus makes a difference in the natural realm. This is what the the disciples, they got out of it. And by the time they cross over to the other side, Jesus looks at the disciples and he asks them a poignant question. Because this question then leads into our passage today. And he asks them, where is your faith? What are you following? How are you following me? Where is this faith? Because the only thing the disciples were concerned about is, We followed you, and a bad thing happened. And because this bad thing happened, they're questioning, why are we going through this? And so Jesus is asking them, where is your faith? What are you led by? Are you led by circumstances? Do you decide to follow me based on circumstances, or do you trust my lead? Because we see a surprising thing happen, and as soon as they go to the shore, who was there to meet Jesus as soon as they land? It says, as soon as they crossed over and they landed, this demon-possessed man came to Jesus, fell at his knees, and began begging him, do not cast us into the abyss. You see, spirit recognizes spirit. Even these demons and this demonic spirit recognized Jesus was here. And the first thing that this demonic spirit does is that it actually comes because he recognizes the authority of Jesus. He comes to him and goes on his knees and asks, what are you doing here? Are you here to cast us out? Notice that he was the only one, this demon-possessed man, was the only one in all the town, in all the countryside there, that came to recognize spirit. 
No one else in the town, no one else in the countryside recognize spirit. They're all still doing their own thing, all preoccupied with their own things. It's only this man, this demon-possessed man that recognizes spirit. And he comes on his knees and he says, what do you have to do with us? Don't cast us into the abyss. See, the question, where is your faith, is an important one. Because faith is what allows us to follow God's spirit as he leads us. You know, Hebrews, it reminds us, without faith, you can even say, without God's spirit leading us. Without faith, he says, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is faith, he says. He asks the disciples, where's your faith? And the Hebrews, in Hebrews, they describe faith as faith is faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And when we look at our lives, we have to wonder, where is our faith? In terms of the way that we live, our everyday life, and how we are making decisions with the everyday things that we make decisions on, where is our faith? Does faith, does God's spirit have anything to do with how we make decisions in these everyday matters? Because if we're feeling a distance with God, perhaps it's because, as Hebrew points out, we don't live by faith, we live by sight. And without faith, if we can't please God, we can't experience the pleasure of God, it creates a distance between us and God. He says, because anyone who comes to him, he says, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. How many of us really believe that God, in the matter of my finances, you are Lord, and if I seek you in my finances, no matter how weird it may be in you calling me to do certain practices, like when I'm not even making my balance sheet work, yet you still call me to tithe every, every month, it doesn't make any sense, Lord, but Lord, you are Lord over my finances. He says, when we seek him, God rewards those who earnestly seek him. We begin to experience who God is in these ordinary things. In the matter of health, in that same way where we really believe and we should believe that medical professions, it's there to help us. But at the same time, do we believe that God can do something about our health, that God can do something about our pain? And to keep saying and keep going up to God and going, Lord, I give you this pain. I give you this health issue. I give you this thing that I'm struggling with because I believe that you are Lord over my body as well. Do we believe that God is real and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him? For us to believe this, we need faith. And spirit, as it recognizes spirit, that's where we go to. We go to God's spirit, where he is at. 
and we trust that he has those answers. See, by the time they reached the shore, the only person who was aware is this demon-possessed man. Even demons recognize spirit, and yet every person in the town does not recognize that Jesus has come. In fact, the only time that all the villagers and those in the surrounding countryside actually come. Do you see what happened? Only this demon-possessed man comes. Jesus casts out the demon. And then this, uh, the demonic spirits, they go into a herd of pigs. And these pigs, they jump off a cliff and they all die. Their pig market is disrupted. It's a large herd of pigs. It's 2,000. So 2,000 pigs, their whole market of pigs is now completely disrupted. And this is what enrages the town. And now that their market is disrupted, now their interest is peaked. Now they go to Jesus. Who's the one that disrupted our life? We had a good thing going. Our life was going really well until you show up and notice their focus. Their focus is not on this demon-possessed man that was wreaking havoc on all the villagers, always breaking the change and, and harassing all the villagers in the town. They don't care about that. They see that he's in his right mind and he's fully dressed. Rather than questioning how he was healed and how he is brought back to them, they're upset because their market has been destroyed. Now, brothers and sisters, when we look at our own life, I want to ask us this question is, what draws us to Jesus? What draws us to church? What draws us to faith? Is it when certain parts of our life become disrupted and we're a little bit upset that God or circumstances disrupted our life? And now we go to him saying, what are you doing? And we have anger or we have fear that these parts of our life are disrupted. And we insist that Jesus puts it back to what we want it to be. Because that's exactly what all the villagers wanted. They said, you ruined our market. You disrupted our lifestyle. We want you to leave. You know, sometimes for us, when we go through hardships and challenges, how many of us are kind of like gut reaction? This is kind of like push God away, right? Something terrible happens, and we know that we need to go to God's spirit, and we need to pray to him, and we need to hold him. We need to read our word, but as soon as we try and we open up our Bible, we kind of like repel at it, and we're like, we push it away because our instinct is my life's been disrupted and you did nothing to help me. We feel like my life's been disrupted in this area and how is me praying right now going to change anything that I'm going through? Shouldn't I think of practical solutions? You see, this is what all the people did. They just pushed Jesus away and just said, can you please just leave so that we can have our own life settled again after the disruption that you have caused? You see, sometimes for us, 
A lot of us, we fear pursuing Jesus in our life because we kind of know it's going to disrupt the kind of rhythms that we've gotten used to. We kind of know that if I go closer to Jesus, this kind of rhythm that I've been enjoying, and I know it's not the best for me, but I've enjoyed it. And I don't need anyone nagging to me saying, you got to stop that, or you got to change that, or you got to have a healthier lifestyle, or you got to go to church a little bit more. I don't need that kind of nagging. I'm going through too much pressure, too much hardships as it is. I just need to have this space or this time. And we seek those things out, and we keep pushing Jesus away and saying, Jesus, I don't need you in this moment of my life. I need these other things. I need my market. I need my... I need my, uh, my things, my materialistic things. I need these relationships. I need these escapes. And we push Jesus away. But we notice a huge contrast in the attitude of the town people and that of the demoniac, of the demon-possessed man. Look at what verse 37 says. Whereas all the town people asked Jesus to leave, The man who was healed begged Jesus if he could go with him. The town people are saying, leave us. But the demon-possessed man who was healed is grabbing Jesus and saying, can I go with you? What a difference in attitude and desires. One group of people pushing Jesus away, another group, another person holding him and saying, I don't want you to leave. And if you do, I want to go with you. See, this is another example of the spirit recognizing spirit, saying, I need more of you, Jesus, in my life. See, this healed man, he wanted more of Jesus. Imagine you being healed or imagine a scenario in your life today where you're so burdened by something and you're praying to God saying, can you heal me or can you answer this prayer? And then we'll just say in an instant, it's answered. You get the finances that you need. You get the job that you wanted. You get this relationship that is healed. You get the healing in your body that you needed. What would be the first thought? What would be the first reaction that we have after all this new things come our way? Ask yourself this, what's your first instinct if God met that need or that burden that you're going through? What would be the first thing that you want to do? See, for this man, this demon-possessed man, I can imagine so many things this man suddenly had now the freedom to do. He said, I can finally get a job. Right? I can work like all my other friends again. And so I'm going to start looking and I'm going to look for jobs to do. He could have said, now I can get back home and be with my family again and enjoy the relationship rather than being an outcast. Maybe he thought, maybe now finally I can even think about marriage. Now that I'm back in my right mind, I can actually have a family and to live that life. He said, or maybe I can celebrate and go to all my friends and have drinks with them and to enjoy my time with them again. Or maybe he saw, maybe I can play some sports with the new strength that I have. But for this man, the new freedom that he has, what he does with it 
is he goes right up to Jesus who healed him and just says, I just want to be with you. He says, I just want to be with you. Let me follow you. Now, there's a lot of practical implications here. How is he going to finance himself? How is all these other things going to work out? Is he going to have enough money? What's his parents going to say? Or how is he going to get his life back together? Because that's not really a life worth living when you're just a vagabond just going around and following this man. What this man understood is this. In Jesus, he makes all things right. He understood that prioritizing Jesus did not mean neglecting the other parts of his life. It just meant reordering things in its proper perspective, allowing Jesus to be Lord over every aspect of his life and keeping him center as he begins to rebuild these other aspects that needed to be rebuilt. You know, there are a lot of things for us when we think about our relationship with Jesus and some of the things that we feel like we want to pursue instead of him, maybe this is the reason why we don't really recognize the Spirit's work in our everyday life. It's because in our, prioritize, uh, in our prioritization of space and when we try to bring Jesus home and into these normal environments that we have, we don't seek him. What we try to do instead is we try to just get our life in order and do it the best that we can, and then we leave Jesus on the side, and we say, worship is Jesus at church and my morning space and my devotional, but apart from that, we don't really bring him home and into each and every one of these ordinary decisions that we make. We don't see the power of Jesus and faith in these very normal, ordinary things that we are deciding every day. See, this man was told by Jesus, no, don't go with me, and he gives him this word instead. Jesus says to him, no, go back to that same town, to those same people who've known who you were and tell them what I have done for you. They've already seen it. But this is what Jesus tells him to do. He says, go back into your own home, into your own spaces, and tell them what Jesus has done for you. Do you know one of the hardest people to convince that we have been changed or we really believe Jesus or our life is really filled with the Spirit? Do you know who the hardest people to convince are? Isn't it our own family members? is in our most closest friends. And this is exactly what Jesus says to this demon-possessed man who was healed. He says, go back and to keep showing them over and over as you share this good news with them of what Jesus did for you, he can't just share this one good news and then take off and be an itinerant person and just try to escape this old life and this old kind of habits that people knew him as. He had to really show that this change happened within because these very people that have known him every year as he was demon-possessed and it was the guy that they saw, they needed to see that he was really changed and not just one kind of like showy, one-stop, one-time kind of, you know, uh, changeover, but then the next day he goes back to what he always was. 
Every day, people had to be convinced this really is true. This guy really changed. See, brothers and sisters, when we look at our everyday life, bringing faith home to the point where our spouse, our brother, or our sister, or our children begin to recognize, wow, this Christ in this person has transformed and continually transforms. This is one of the hardest things that any one of us can do. And this is what the assignment that Jesus gives to this demon-possessed man. He says, show your hometown. Bring your faith home first. Let them see that the words that you speak, that Jesus is Lord, let them see that it's really true, that you believe it, and they're seeing it being carried out in everything that you do. Brothers and sisters, for spirit to recognize spirit, we need to first make sure that spirit has come home, that we're bringing the spirit home. See, Jesus, for this, for this demon-possessed man, Jesus was the last thing he was expecting. No one could help him. They kept binding him because he was, he was an outcast and he was a strain on that community. No one wanted to be near this guy. And Jesus was the last person that he thought would come to heal him. And when Jesus shows up, he runs to Jesus, goes at his feet, and opens himself up. Now, brothers and sisters, if a demon can do this, if a demon-possessed person can do this, then how much more are we called to do the same? There may be certain situations in our life where the last thing that we expect is for us to spend time with Jesus because we're just so stressed and there are just too many things for us to figure out and we just don't have time. But if Jesus shows up and he begins knocking on your door, open it. Invite him in. Lay down your pride. Lay down any skepticism, arrogance that we might have. And just ask him, Lord, heal me. Change me. Help me to repent. Help me to receive you as Lord in my everyday. And not just at church, not just as a principal. Help me to experience you in my everyday so that I may be healed. Brothers and sisters, I pray that for each one of us, God's Spirit would lead us, would guide us, will fill us as we led him to heal us and bring us to the place where we need to be with him, where we have faith that he really is who he says he is and he makes a difference in our everyday life so that we can see how his spirit is moving and we keep following him even in the ordinary, everyday things that we make, and decisions that we make, 
we follow him in these everyday things and we keep following his spirit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for blessing us with this time.